Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Rose City Politics. It's November the 10th, and our regular panel tonight includes myself, John Lidke, and Doug Sartori. Doug, how you doing? Red sweatshirt tonight, eh? Uh, yeah, this is actually my election day hoodie, but I'm uh, I'm wearing it today. <laughs> you haven't been wearing it like nonstop since, have you? Definitely have not. Just pulled it out of the closet <laughs> for the show tonight. Well, it looks good. I've got the gray hoodie on myself, so you know we're keeping it uh, very casual. You know who's not keeping it casual tonight? Our guest. We have Ward Seven Councilor Elect with us, Angelo Marignani. How are you doing, Councilor Elect? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Doug, for having me. You, you are, you know, wearing a very tasteful jacket with a black shirt below it and a poppy on it. You are putting us to shame currently. No, no, that's there is no, no yeah. uh, oh. there is no intent of shaming here. I wasn't saying you would intend it. That was that's a whole different it's conversation. Just how I was it saying happened. it's just factual. <laughs> it's just it's just there. Anyways, we're glad to have you. We're going to get into the show, of course. Rose City Politics, we're in BizX Magazine online at bizxmagazine.com. We've got a new issue dropping where we do a debrief of, uh, well, you know, the election. We're just waiting for that to hit news stands. We're also on all of your favorite social media and podcasting apps. And Rose City Politics is able to broadcast live on tape week after week after week, just like we do, thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625, Building Better Communities. Well, as you just heard, we have soon Ward 7 to be Councillor Angelo Marignani with us. Uh, how many days left are you just a regular guy right now for? I think until the 15th. So uh, next Tuesday, next Tuesday nice. is the inauguration. So basically like five days, four days left as we're counting down the hours here. Right. Any bucket list things that you need to get done before you take on the responsibilities and weight of uh, the councillorship? No, I did those things 20 years ago. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm past that point. It would probably be too late to do that stuff now. Let's be right. honest. Right. <laughs> well, technically, you know, technically I wasn't sworn in yet. So that, you know. Swimming across the Detroit River was completely fine in my purview, just as an example. Exactly. <laughs> You're in the lame duck period of your just general citizenry right now. I think yeah. you should use it. I think you should just <laughs> lean into it. Um, you know, for those who might not know you, um, we take for granted the fact that, like, we 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 both know you. We've uh, we know that your background, but there might be a lot of people who. Um, have tuned in for the first time on Rose City Politics over the past little bit because of the election. Maybe they were looking at different wards. Why don't you just do, you know, the quick little elevator pitch that you did to people on the doorstep? Who are you? Why were you running? Um, that that type of thing. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, born and raised in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, immigrant parents, Felicia and Franco. I have two sisters, uh, Marilena and Paula. Uh, went to uh, Brennan, then uh, graduated from the University of Windsor. After that, traveled to uh, Tokyo, Japan from uh, 1991 to 98. Um, really enjoyed that a lot. Returned back to uh, to Windsor after that. And I was inspired by what I saw in Tokyo. So I decided to start a, a small business called Milk Coffee Bar, which was based on a, a club in Harajuku called Milk. And... Uh, Ran that for 17 years. It was absolutely fantastic. Made some uh, some great friends, uh, lifelong friends. Uh, and it really uh, pushed me into the art world and the creative scene of Windsor, which I absolutely was uh, starving for and, and loved that. And uh, in 2016, I, uh, oh, wait, I got married. 
that's important too. Uh, to my wife, Dana, and we have two children, Sophia and Sebastian, uh, who are going to uh, university and high school now. And uh, after that, uh, worked at Magna for uh, six years. Currently still am working, uh, but I will be taking an LOA for the, uh, the first year as a result of this new position that I'm, I'm with. And um, now I'm a counselor elect at this point. And it's been a long time coming. Um, uh, I just did, did a quick scan um, through election results, past election results, and um, every election that Windsor has had a 10 ward system, your name has been on the ballot going back to 2010, unless I missed one there. No, um, you are correct. And you in, are correct. in 2010, uh, um, you got beat out by Percy Hatfield for the first ever Ward 7 election. Um, and But there's a number here I want to focus on. Um, 2,286 votes. Um, in 2013, there was a by-election. Uh, you, you were uh, first runner-up in that one. Um, in uh, 2014, took on um, income, then incumbent Eric Kuzmerchik, 2,539 votes, um, had another by-election in, uh, oh, sorry, I missed 2018. In 2018, in 2018, um, you ran again, achieved, I'm, I'm just skipping the by-elections because there's a narrative here that I'm trying to establish. Um, in 2018, you ran again, um, only achieved 982 votes. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Eric Kuzmerchik got 70% of the vote that year. Not that surprising for a popular incumbent seeking re-election. So in 2022, um, you know, after uh, coming off of um, two elections in a row, the, um, the 2018 and then the 2020 by-election, in which you did not crack four figures, uh, you came back and achieved the highest vote total in all of those tries, 2,678 votes. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in that because what I see, aside from the, um, the first Kuzmerichek re-election, which is kind of an understandable result, it's, it's a bit of a, a, a referendum on the performance of the incumbent rather than evaluating any other candidate, um, but but it seems to me that that over the years you've had a pretty reliable base of votes in Ward Seven. Um, you know, two thousand people plus um, put their confidence in you time and time again um, to fill that role. And I'm I'm curious about two things. Firstly, um, why you think that is, like how you built that base of support and how you've sustained it for for twelve years. Um, and, and then what you think put you over the top this time? Very good. Um, answering the first question, I think it, it has to do with uh, actually going door to door. What got those numbers was the brute labor that's part of the, uh, part of the equation of a successful campaign. Uh, so every year I did that uh, engagement uh, with, with the people of uh, East Riverside and Forest Glade. So that's what gave me the high numbers. Um, the second part of your question again was, I'm sorry. 
No, so I'm, I'm just muting myself now because for some reason my cat has decided to scream in the background. <laughs> That's okay. We'll get both our cats and we'll have them scream at each other. Okay. Now we've got a show that the subreddit's going to like. Okay. We got a cats. We, we threw cats in there. Everyone loves their pets. Um, so um, getting back to what kind of pushed it over, I think on this one was... Uh, you know, I think it's human behavior that every time you do something and repeat something, you do it better. And uh, I think that's what uh, you can call it wisdom. You can call it whatever. But a lot of this, a lot of this campaign, I, I believe the reason it went so well was because of the past mistakes and the past experiences, which were put into the plan about six months before the election even started. And the plan was very detailed. This is what has to be done. This is where, where, and I think uh, that along with, uh, with just the residents, uh, the people and the volunteers, I mean, a, a whole marketplace of just uh, brilliant supporters who just, who, uh, you know, each person had their own individual, individual talent, be it uh, political psychology, be, be it uh, campaigning or marketing uh, or just uh, be it, you know, political insight. Uh, everyone contributed and everyone's uh, opinion was extremely valid. Yeah. Um, what was it like then? You know, you, you hear from a lot of uh, candidates when they run for re-election, like, okay, I, I, I remember being on the doorstep with you four years ago and now I'm here now. You know, you've been going to these people as Doug has been alluding to. Were they like fired up? What was the emotional state uh, of, you know, your supporters that you've that, that that you recognize over and over and over again when you were hitting their doors this time? Because uh, you knocked on every door. I know that. So what was it like when you when when you showed up? You kind of develop relationships. So I can remember talking to, let's say, one, uh, one family, and they had little kids, and their big concern was speeding cars. And uh, now that their, their kids aren't little anymore, their concern is safety at the parks. So you kind of see how, uh, how a family or how people, their needs change over time. And uh, that was really interesting to see. And then there was also, I mean, it's it's like a like I refer to almost like a book, reading a book where every page is a different story. Every door is a different story. And each story is so beautiful and, and important. Uh, it was really uh, I was honored to kind of like uh, just being able to see so many people and just talk to the people of your neighborhood. It, it's kind of a great experience. It really is because there's such diversity in our neighborhood and everyone has their own sort of concern and it, it's great to hear those stories and and try to help those people reach their uh, their aspirations and their goals so having um having those conversations at the door and i think it's really interesting because you uh you're in a unique position angelo where i i don't think um there are too many people in the city who um can say that they have made the, a serious effort at canvassing um the same ward year after year um you know incumbents tend to let things slide a little bit and and uh scale back those efforts and and so um i i thought it was really interesting that you mentioned that you kind of had that longitudinal knowledge of a family you know them from the time that their their kids were toddlers to the time that their kids are now hanging out in parks as teenagers 
Um, but what I'm really interested in, because um, you've done so much work on the ground and you, it sounds like you know the community really well, um, what I'm interested in, and I think our listeners will be interested in, is understanding how you plan to take all of that knowledge and, and the things that you heard from residents and, and what you learned from residents in the course of the campaign, how do you then turn that into policy around the council table? Mm. You look for trends, I guess. That's important. So you'll notice that certain things repeatedly come up at the door. And that should be an indicator that this is, this is a concern that needs to be improved upon. Um, so for me, it's really about, uh, I kept tallies every day uh, that I went out and campaigned. And uh, there are certain issues that, you know, are really important to uh, to the people of East Riverside and Forest Glade. So uh, that those will become my priorities, um, you know, in this upcoming term. Anything specific jump out that um, that you campaigned on and that you think is important for you to bring forward for the city? Yeah, I think, um, well, a lot of we have we have two groups in our area. We either have seniors who are who are enjoying senior life and we have young families and families and people who have been around for. Yeah, mostly those are the two demographics. Um, I think healthcare comes up. So we have our hospital going into place. But in the interim, what are we doing to to help with the crisis that we're dealing with now? And I think that's really important that we develop a plan for that, uh, like a five-year, a one-year, five-year, and then 10-year when the hospital is finally going. Um, it's snow removal. It's being able to get out of my, you know, enjoy. It's, it's everything. It's the simple things. It's the basic things that people really want, uh, you know, to focus on. When, and also, um, you know, we're, we're in we're in tough times. A lot of people are on fixed incomes. And so uh, our tax rates, our, our utility uh, costs, those are, those were issues that came up as well. So uh, I would say the commons, things that uh, you and I share, but don't take personal responsibility for our parks, our roads. Um, those are, those are the things that people want to see improvement in as well as um, our healthcare and, um, speeding, traffic calming. Those are the ones that always came up. And also just the speed of in which Ward 7 is growing. There's a lot of development here. So you have uh, a lot of people who are really concerned about the environment and how the environment is being affected by that. So there's there's a lot of concerns. And I think we need to put guidelines on some developments and, uh, and really sort of retain the beauty that is of this area. And, but I understand that, you know, there is, there, there is evolution, there is going to be growth, but it has to be uh, a controlled growth. Hey, thanks for that. Uh, um, you know, there's so much to unpack with all of this still. And I want to ask you now, you know, you, as, as I said, you unseated an incumbent, um, albeit and a, a bi-electoral incumbent. Oh, wow. Mm. I handled that pretty well by electoral incumbent. That sounds pretty good. Um, mm. What's your take? Uh, you know, not about doing that. Um, and I'm not I don't want you to be going after him at all. But, you know, what mm. did you hear from people at the doorstep about 
the representation that they felt that they had over the past two years. Why do you think that there was a demand to change? I mean, he, he was a candidate and a counselor, you know, that had a lot of institutional support in mm -hmm. the city over the past couple, two years that he was in, um, but also especially during the election itself. So, you know, uh, I'm I just, if you could just unpack all of that a little bit, just from your perspective. I mean, um, I, I would say this at the door whenever I was presented that question or, you know, I'm not here to praise or criticize. I'm here to get the job done. So uh, oftentimes uh, when people were saying, uh, weren't speaking so highly, I would, I would say to them, I'd like you to go to Bangladesh or I want you to go to some foreign country that you don't know the language. I want you to stay there for 15 years. I want you to run for municipal office. I want you to win. And then you can tell me what you think of this guy. So there, there was an amount of respect that I, uh, you have to have uh, for Mr. Gill simply because uh, he did obtain a lot as an immigrant and we're all immigrants. So there is that sort of, you know, I, I feel I feel bad for him and, and to a degree. I feel sad for him because I think he is, you know, genuine, genuinely a, a good person. Uh, but I, I think maybe uh, some of the strategies that he employed during his uh position as counselor uh, weren't the best ones uh but now you have to live with those consequences i guess yeah we uh um well just speaking for myself i've known mr gill for a number of years and uh he's he's most certainly a a, a gentleman and and someone that is enjoyable to spend time around um but while we're talking about the campaign i want to just continue um uh none of this stuff hit the media um, but you, you know, when you are in the position that, that Don, John, Pat and I are, um, you talk to a lot of people, um, you hear a lot of things. There's a lot of sort of stuff that happens under the surface in election campaigns that doesn't always, um, make it to the, um, to the general public through the media. And one of the things that, um, that I noted about the Ward 7 campaign is the level of intensity of the rivalry between um, the top three, the three front running candidates, and, and it turned out the top three vote getters. Um, and um, I got an impression that um, that the campaign got a little bit chippy, and perhaps a little bit dirty um, at times. And I don't want you to comment specifically on any incidents or allegations, um, but just overall, I'm curious, um, mostly because I, I'm really curious when I hear this sort of thing. And you have a that that perspective of having run in many elections. Um, do you think that this campaign in Ward Seven was um, exceptionally challenging from that perspective, or was it kind of similar to the last five? No, I think you're right that there was that sort of. Uh... Uh, less savory, lowbrow attitude uh, that was kind of flowing in that in this campaign. Uh, but it, uh, we made it. Uh, uh, our campaign team made it clear uh, that we would not participate in any negative uh, comment or attitude at all. And I think people, you know, you're talking about uh, voter apathy and you know so many elections. People don't like the discourse. People don't like when people argue. Um, they see it as immature. And I think 
uh, our strategy was, listen, we're not going to be, we're not even going to participate with that. We're going to focus on the issues. We're going to focus on what people are saying. Uh, we're going to draw the, uh, the right conclusions from these observations. And we're going to move forward with, with a plan that, you know, uh, is nothing but positive. And I think people are really looking for that in today's, in today's world. Um, models of, of cooperation, models of success, and um, models of optimism instead of models of uh, hate and finger pointing. Um, I'm just sick of it. We're all sick of it. And uh, I think uh, one of the reasons uh, we did well was because of the positive attitude that we carried out throughout that campaign. And uh, John, if you don't mind, I want to move away a little bit from campaign talk. Okay, thanks. Um, I just want to talk about um, some of the issues that I think are, and maybe John, you can chime in with a couple of your own. Um, some of the issues that I think are going to define this term of council um, mm -hmm. and and that are going to be major, um, major decisions for the city. And I think the biggest one um, in terms of the biggest one in terms of direct impact on residents um, and and long term impact on the development of the city is the housing crisis. Um, we've heard different numbers um, from different sources, but the you know I seem to recall hearing that the um, you know the sort of the provincial target for the city is around thirteen thousand new homes over the next ten years. Um, and the provincial government is introducing a number of measures that are going to have an impact on the way that municipalities um, can can influence development and in fact the way that development is funded. Um, the biggest one, uh, the biggest potential change to my eyes is um, the removal of development charges. So um, and and just a quick precy of my you know my limited um, tech guy understanding of how this works. Um, developers of housing uh, have to include in the price of a home charges that are municipal charges um, that are meant to cover the, the cost of infrastructure to service those new homes. Um, so we have a variety of different development charges in the city and across the county. Um, and removing development charges means that growth, housing growth will no longer pay for growth. Um, and, and that means that, um, we are going to have to fund the infrastructure for, um, for housing growth out of the municipal tax base. And in an environment where, um, the expectations are, and, and Mayor Dilkins campaigned on this, that, um, that, that tax, the tax, the taxes that people pay um, by which the definition, and I know this is a long question, but there's a lot to lay out, um, by which over the last, you know, um, 20 years or so, that rhetoric around holding the line on taxes has meant that that municipal revenue has stayed flat. Um, so if municipal revenue is going to um, remain flat, if, if it's only going to grow at a pace that matches the pace of inflation and um, we have to build a couple thousand housing units a year um, and those the purchasers of those units are not going to um, fund the infrastructure costs themselves. Um, we're looking at a very difficult and complicated problem in terms of how do we fund that. So and I'm not asking you to come 
come back with the 10 point plan for how the municipality is going to manage all this. But I'm just curious about what your thoughts are around um, around these issues, around that tension between um, growth and taxes that looks like is being set up by the provincial government. Mm. I mean, you bring up a very good point uh, as far as revenue for the city. I, I think there's there's. To be honest with you, I'm on a learning curve right now uh, with all these details, but I kind of see it if I apply to, let's say, uh, a business, it's short-term loss for long-term gain. So there will be revenue in the long run with taxes that are collected by the, uh, by the development, uh, but in the short term, we don't have that. Um, going back to the infrastructure concerns. Uh, I, I just want to interrupt you there for yeah, a second because yeah, there's a really important point I want to make, and that's that um, traditionally over the past decade or so, um, the municipality has not taken advantage of this assessment growth from new builds. That um, okay. that assessment growth has been rolled in to holding the line on taxes. Um, so so um, even though we have more homes paying uh, property tax, that's not factored in when we consider what's that um, what's that top line revenue number that we're going to look at and say we've we've you know we've held taxes at the rate of inflation. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to make that that quick point. Right. I mean, um, we have to we have to. I mean, that comes at budget time. We have to really review the budget. I, I think there there could be areas of savings. Uh, in our budget that maybe we could look at. I know this isn't directly answering the, uh, your question. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I'd have to do a little more research and, and get back to you with more detail on it um, in order to give you a truly, a, a true a good answer on that one. So, I mean, uh, holding the line looking, on tax. Yeah, I'm really looking for... Um, What's your, where is your headspace going into grappling with these issues? You know, again, we're not expecting that you've got all the answers, but right. um, when you think about all these challenges, where, where is your head at on them? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you profit from something and you're a private, private business, private industry, uh, you, you have to pay, you know, you have to pay the piper. You have to, in order to uh, do these developments, in order to do these projects, which you benefit from in the income that you make, well, sometimes you have to pay a few bills. Uh, so, I mean, there are incentive programs. I would be more keen on the idea of like community incentive programs for brownfields, uh, for areas in our city that uh, really need that development. And for those developments, I would be more likely to waive, let's say the taxes on them simply because it's already in an area that has the infrastructure. It already has the transit. It already has the roads. It has everything it needs already. So maybe we can have some cost savings there. Um, but as far as uh, new development, uh, yeah, I would be a little more reserved on that uh, before I would give away um, you know, free taxes as a result of it because it's the last of our virgin land or whatever the case may be. Uh, I would be more likely... Uh, I think not to uh, not to be so incentive in that area, but way more incentive for uh, the infills of brownfields and and our areas that can really use development and revitalize neighborhoods and communities. 
Yeah. And, you know, I mean, listen, it's, this is, it's such a new issue. We're still grappling with it. We just heard, I think publicly the first information from administration about it at that last council meeting, uh, counselor Geniac bringing it forward. And I mean, you saw it on her face and in her voice, just like abject terror almost right. at the realization of what the implications of this means. Um, and you know, this building better homes, quicker, faster, better act, whatever it's called, um yeah it's like it's affordable housing including inclusionary zoning units some housing units not-for-profit units they're all exempt from municipal development charges parkland dedication fees community benefit charges rental construction has reduced development charges and conservation authority fees for development permits and proposals frozen um uh, like it, the one thing that was told back to uh, Councillor Geniac from administration when she asked about the implications was uh, it's going to be really hard for us to continue by our growth pays for growth campaign uh, or, or policy, an official policy. And, you know, we could have hours long conversations about the gift that uh, Premier Ford just handed his develop development friends with this being able to just reap you know massive amounts of profit here without having to jack up the price of things because of these fees but that's a conversation for another day um but doug started this by saying you know what are what are your thoughts about some of the the bigger issues in the city i want to talk about you know some of the master plans that we have right yeah. now uh briefly uh specifically you know the transit windsor master plan that became sort of a uh political football if you will, during this campaign. And um, I felt like Mayor Dilkins was almost like Lucy uh, during the campaign, having voted part of like a unanimous block to bring about the transit master plan and then uh, pulling the football and uh, referring to the garage component, the essential component before anything else can really be achieved a garage mahal to to belittle it um what's your take I, uh, again go into whatever you want about it but we've got a lot of master plans that if implemented could turn windsor into i think the city that everybody wants it to be we, we've spent so much money uh man hours uh woman hours time uh people hours uh, like the investment is uh enormous and they they all sit there and they just develop dust um, what will be your role? Do you see in, you know, helping to reshape Windsor or, uh, what are your ideas, uh, within this, uh, headspace that I'm trying to, uh, create for you? Right. Um, I mean, I think what's needed with our transit is, uh, a more regular first it's, it's also education. Uh, many people don't know that we have an app for our public transit that tells you exactly where your bus is. Uh, on its route. So uh, there's an educational component on what the what features we have with our transit, but I think we have to almost redo the routes. Uh, the routes are too, uh, they're squiggly. They should be straight. Uh, they should be almost like grid pattern. Uh, and we should, we should employ more uh, express buses between hubs, between areas. I think uh, there's a lot of examples of how municipalities are successfully um, running their transit. And I think Windsor should take a look at those municipalities that do have good transit and what are they doing right? And then model ourselves to that correct pattern. Uh, there's, there's a lot. With the master plans, I mean, 
uh, they're valuable. They really are. And I, I'm just starting to read some of them and uh, they're, uh, they're detailed. They're very detailed. And a lot of work went into that and it, it would almost be a waste and we can't waste man hours and all the efforts that went into these plans uh, and not use them. So I think they're very insightful. Uh, but like anything, it, there's always areas for improvements. And it's little improvements, I think, that could be done. Uh, but consistently, that will give us the the final project or the final quality and service that we, we want and, and hope for. Okay, one last question um, before we, we shift on to other topics. And you've been a really good sport, Angelo, and we appreciate it. Um, one of the first things that uh, you will do as a counselor is participate in um, the striking committee to yes. uh, um, populate the agencies, boards, and committees of the city. And um, so in looking at the, um, the different, um, those different organizations, um, is there any particular um, board or committee slot that you are particularly eager um, to shoot for and that you think you could make a, a substantial difference by, by participating? There's a few. There's uh, Heritage, which I, I'm absolutely in love with. There's Police. Uh, there's IRCA, the environment. I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, supportive of that. And, you know, um, I need to review them all and see, uh, you know, what level of, uh, of participation is there and, uh, you know, how, yeah, I, I really need to review that. That's going to be coming in orientation, uh, which will be happening next week. So I, I look forward to uh, reviewing uh, those committees and, and choosing the ones that are dear to my heart. And uh, I know that, uh, yeah, IRCA, Heritage, Police is very important as well. Um, yeah, there's there's a few. There's quite a few. But yeah, and I, I'm, I'm excited about that. But yeah. Uh, I still, I'd, at this point in time, I still want to review them and uh, make sure that I make the right choices. Fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for, uh, you know, enduring this uh, back and forth that we've had. Are, do you want to stick with us through the rest of the program? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I'd love okay. to. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we will uh, do this shift then here. So I get to be Don? I'm done right now. Yeah. Okay. I got to get right. some jokes ready. Okay. Yeah, we'll hey, one so, sec. Let me get that. Okay. So ball. get, keep the jokes going. Do you yeah, have yeah. your clipper clippers ready to shave that all off? Yeah. Right. And uh, you also need to uh, pour some bourbon and get a cigar going, but otherwise you are, you know, right on the bat with this. So I love okay. it. Okay. The, the Merrifield We're, method acting. I yes. love it. <laughs> You were really exciting uh, excited for that. I, I love that. You, you yeah, came yeah. forward with that. You you had the you had the part ready. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to shift to the breaking news of the day. Pretty much. We found out like sort of later last night, later enough after work. Uh, City of Windsor has voted uh, council last night, last outgoing council meeting of the last council to revoke the vaccine policy. Uh, Councillor McKenzie, Ward 9, recently re-elected, brought forward a motion to revoke the policy. That was a two-dose policy for all city employees. 
And he said, you know, we need to uh, take a look. The fact is, you know, the situation's changed. The science has changed. We know that it doesn't necessarily uh, stop the spread in the ways that we thought that it did. So uh, we need to take a light uh, look at it in terms of what the new situation is as it is today. That It's also been removed now from Enwin and Windsor Police. Honorio Colucci said in a news release about it that it was done to save lives during the pandemic. Obviously, we're in a much better position now where we are. That came into effect on the 16th of September of last year, 2021. At that time, uh, in January, after that, 104 employees were let go of roughly 3,500 that the city employs across you know, the whole field of things. Um, McKenzie, Councillor McKenzie said that employees that were terminated, there's going to be a conversation with them individually um, and it'll include labor leadership. And then as well uh, for the non-unionized employees, there would be uh, similar discussions in relation specifically to returning to work and under what circumstances that could be. Uh, they say the city says that rescinding the mandate means that those seeking employment with the city won't need to, you know, show a mandate uh, or a, a proof of vaccine whatsoever. Yes. Um, so that's the background of it. Did that as quick as I could. Uh, Councillor elect, I guess the first question for you. Um, are you upset that this lame duck council went and did something so big a week before you could have been part of a vote one way or another? I mean, like you could answer how you would have voted. That's, that's your prerogative. I just want to know, like, are you just offended that they went and did something big a week before you, you know, you've got the mandate here to uh, come in and vote one way or another. These, these schlubs had no right. Yeah. John. But, the, <laughs> but the, the schlubs had it right in, in the sense that they did the right thing. So it's it's not about you know uh, you know who gets to claim it. It's not about that. It's about just doing that right thing, and I think that is the right thing. At the time when those mandates were put forward, uh, people were dying on respirators. It was a very different story. I, I came across twenty five, thirty people who said they have COVID, and I'm like, as I'm campaigning, I'm like, uh, how do you feel? Oh, I feel okay. I feel great. So you can see how. What happened two and a half years ago? We were talking about herd immunity. We were talking about, you know, we need to get, uh, we need everyone on board on this. And you know what? Everyone did get on board. And the ones who didn't were basically protected by the ones who did. So now at this point in time where the, the virus the, has mutated to a point where it's no longer deadly, I'm 100% for that. We, we have a work shortage. We and we need qualified people, and these people, you know, they are qualified. And another thing too is we have to stop this division, in the sense, oh, you thought this, you thought that. That's destroying us. Like, let's a brand new page. Let's get back to work. Let's try to improve this scenario. Um, that's water under the bridge. Now we have a job to do, and let's focus on that job. So I'm, I'm all, I'm happy for it. I think it's the right move. Uh, and I'm really not, I really don't care who, who chooses it or who gets the, uh, hey, look, look at what I did, because that's not really what I'm here for. I'm not to say that. I just want to see things get better. That's such an interesting point. Um, you know, I think uh, if you observe social media, um, one of the things that I have kind of seen 
is that there is a segment of the population and this they fall on either side of this of this issue of this divide that was created during the pandemic um who just don't want to let the pandemic go um mm -hmm. who seem to want to continue to um to fight this battle um and and uh i tend i tend to agree uh if you know it, it, we should only be mandating medical interventions that in the most extreme circumstances you know you you telling somebody they have to get a shot um is something that we should we should do with care and very sparingly and so i think this was um a good move by city council um and and anything relating to COVID 19 is going to be um potentially a fraught topic and a difficult topic um but i think it was a good move i think it was the right time for this move um and and uh hopefully there will be some some healing you know i'm really glad to hear um john that there is um effort going to be made to reach out to the employees who were let go um you know even at the height of the uh, of the the pandemic and the worry um I always felt that terminating people was a, a pretty big step to take and, a, and, and something difficult to impose on, on people. Uh, so I'm really, really glad that um, those conversations are going to be happening um, with folks who got let go. Um, the details will be interesting. You know, I, if, if you were, um, if you were let go over COVID, does your seniority reset? And lots of, um, lots of stuff like that, that will have to be worked out in detail. But overall, I think um, in terms of moving on from uh, 2020, I think this is a good move. And, you know, I mean, listen, there were, it was 104 that were fired, but we also have to remember that just a couple months ago, there was a lawsuit that was brought forward by fired city of Windsor employees, 20 of them. So, uh, that, uh, you know, that's like 20% of, uh, the, the amount there, uh, decided to bring forward a lawsuit against the city. And, you know, they got a lawyer out of Toronto. They were fighting it on constitutional grounds and, I think there's probably a pretty good chance at this point where things stand right now, if the city were to try to keep arguing that it needs to remain in place, that it wouldn't be able to stand on any legs, especially with what we know about the science of where we're at. And I'm not arguing against vaccines. I think everyone should be up to date with their boosters. Stay healthy if that's what you think that you want to do. If you don't want to do that, you know, that's your right as well. Uh, but we do know that it does still spread, albeit less in some cases, but it's not the silver bullet that, you know, I think some people hoped that it would be. Others were a bit more skeptical about it. Regardless, we're at this point now, and I don't want this to devolve into a science conversation. That's not the podcast here. But we did have that lawsuit. So I think it, it, of note that it, it it's probably best not to be expending taxpayer money. No, I'm not going to say probably. It is best not to be expending taxpayer money in a situation that we probably know will become fruitless and we've got you know pretty great legal uh at the city there that gives advice and that's always what these decisions are typically based from so i just i wanted to acknowledge that i do find it though so interesting that it was only in june when mayor dilkins said that a vaccine mandate for the windsor police and for the city um 
went for, excuse me, for vaccine mandate for Windsor, Ontario and police may never be rescinded period full stop hard break. If this is a typewriter, I do that sound with the mechanical stuff to bring it over to uh, the far left again, you know, that kind of old timey stuff. Um, what a crazy statement, especially that was only in June of this year. Mandates were dropped. The blockade was well over. Doug Ford had done his thing and like, you know, said that we're dropping the mandates. Everyone go back home. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and Drew Dilkins like quadrupling down. Doug, this is more so like that inside baseball politics question for you. I'd love your opinion right off the bat. And then, I mean, hey, counselor elect, if you want to play Don tonight, by all means, after that, I'd love to get your perspective too, as far okay. as you want to go on it. Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think first of all, every public figure, um, I'm going to be as generous as possible to Mayor Dilkins. I think every public figure um, finds themselves in a situation where there's a microphone in front of their face a lot, um, and they say a lot of things. You know, they say a lot of things, and uh, I'm not sure that that how you know how thoroughly prepared that comment was. Um, you, if you know what I mean, I'm not so sure that Mayor Dilkins went to bed the night before saying, you know, I got to make sure I mentioned that mandates may never be lifted. Um, and, and I think too, it, it was a defense of an entrenched position at that point, especially when, um, you know, you're dealing with, uh, workforces and you've had some, some labor challenges. And I don't know where exactly in June the legal challenge was, if it had emerged yet or not. But, um, let me set, let me set the scene just a little bit more because sure. it is very interesting where June was. Um, I, and I agree with you. The mayor was, the mayor's responding here, right? So the phone yeah. rings, the media calls, right. Hey, we got a question for you. Uh, we've looked into it and Windsor or Strat and Stratford police services are the only two left in the province that have a vaccine mandate in place. Do you think that we still need it? And he responds, we might never get rid of it. We're still in a pandemic. We're not out of it. There are employees comforted by the fact that they are working only with vaccinated people. It's not linear just to remove it for, oh, here's the other thing. At this point, there were only 10 to 10 and 12 employees uh, of the 676 on unpaid leave. So we're talking we're talking a dozen employees right. at this and, point. And, and it Mayor was Dilkin's drawing a hard line in the sand at this point. But I just I just want to just finish where yeah. he says, you know, we're, we're still in this pandemic here and they feel safe and they don't feel safe in a different situation. What changed between June to now? I don't see anything really materially having changed much at that point. I mean, heck, we had had an election pretty well just around this point that like, you know, didn't focus any restrictions by any means. Yeah, I think um, so. I do think police is a little bit different um, than than, for example, city workers. And the main reason I think that is that um, people don't have a choice a lot of times when they come into contact with police. Um, and when you're coming into contact with the general public um, and it's not because they're walking into your establishment or, or you know, choosing to engage with you, but rather 
they're engaging with you because they've had a traffic accident or because, you know, you need to talk to them as part of an investigation or whatever the reasons might be. Um, so I, I think that the bar, you know, it's reasonable for the bar to be a little bit higher um, for folks in that kind of a role. Um, and, and I, you know, I bet you if in the, you know, in the, uh, um, if you imagine Mayor Dilkins, um, you know, before he drifts off to sleep at night, reviewing the day and thinking about which comments he loved that he made and which comments he would want back, um, the, he probably would have wanted those back at the end of that day is my guess, um, because it was going a little further out on a limb than, than seems to be sensible. Um, and, and here we are a few months later, but, but also, you know, I think, um, one of the things, one of the truths of Canadian politics that has been absolutely revealed in the past three elections, I think, is that um, your performance as a politician in the pandemic um, is has far less of an impact on the electorate's opinion of you than anything else you did in that same period of time. And I think the reason is everybody wants to forget it. Um, and I think that people are people who made mistakes and look, you know, you know, people say Mayor Dilkins had a good pandemic, Mayor Dilkins had a bad pandemic. I tend to fall on the side of I don't think he performed particularly well uh, in terms of what we want from a mayor during a pandemic, but I re respect that people have the opposing view. But um, and I think Doug Ford was an atrocious premier during the pandemic. You know, I think that he made a lot of poor choices. Um, I think that that it caused a lot of unnecessary suffering um, during the course of the pandemic. But I also think that at the end of the day, people just wanted to forget about it. And um, to some extent, politicians are are able to skate on their pandemic record in a way that they don't get to skate on their economic record um, or uh, their record on other issues. But, uh, that's yeah, that's a pretty fair that's that's a fair assessment. And, also, and something yeah, something to add to that uh, the legal implications of not hiring back these individuals. You mentioned how earlier different municipalities have already stopped that and dropped that mandate. So there could be like all of a sudden Windsor's the only one who doesn't have it. I can see a big legal case being opened up as a result of that because we're not doing our due diligence in 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 giving those employees their rights. And I think that's really, that's crucial in the sense that it's a major corporation and we have a lot of employees. And if you really want to make sure that everything is running well in the city, you better make sure your employees are happy because if they're not happy, you're going to have a lot of like, uh, you know, toxic, uh, toxic environments that do not produce the quality of service that we expect here in the city of Windsor. So I think it was a wise choice on their part from a legal point of view, simply because they did not want to have, uh, you know, the lawsuits coming against them as a result of their uh, lack of due diligence in changing, changing policy. And you're right, Doug, you know, at, in the heat of the moment, we, we kind of say things and we kind of do things. I think we're a bit hard on people sometimes, you know, we're kind of like, oh, how could you say on that? On this how show? Yeah. So sometimes I think, I don't know, I think we have to be a little more, uh, forgiving a little more kind sometimes people you know do make mistakes you know he who has not sinned throw the first stone you know so only you john can throw the stones so i mean oh i get i get stoned and throw the stones all the time don't worry about that man okay but the point being that i think we have to be a little more understanding um with everyone because it is it is 
it is difficult, I think, to uh, to make those decisions and then to stick with them and to sort of backpedal on them. Uh, I think that takes a lot as well. I mean, you know, you kind you kind of say stuff, but then you realize it's not it wasn't the right answer, and you then have to man up and say, "Listen, I have to I have to make it right. I have to change it, and I will take the uh, the slam on that simply because it's the right thing to do." Well, and that's that's totally fair. I didn't I didn't hear any of uh, that walk back by any means uh, so far, though. But I think you're right. You know, I think a bit more compassion and consideration is probably necessary. It's tough for us in a situation where we analyze it on, you know, the week by week basis in the moment of it. But giving us that 2020 hindsight and looking back does provide a different perspective on it. But, you know, there is also still the frustration that. Those 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 remarks, those decisions, those quips that can get made, um, and I'm not speaking about any specific right now. When they do happen, um, you know, I'll say specifically at the uh, mayoral level. You know, th- this is a mayor's office that's very well funded, that's very well run, that very well executes its public messaging. So I do question what's intentional and what's not intentional. I think maybe I'm just giving them more benefit of uh, the the more, uh, more credit, I suppose, than maybe you are thinking it's just uh, more that they're just responding. And I'm thinking like, no, this is all well mapped out. And I think they're usually aiming for a specific reaction to be elicited regardless again that's a that's a whole other conversation uh we don't have much longer we got to shift our focus and we're gonna do it i hope you don't mind counselor elect out to the county your job's gonna be dealing with the county you know some people don't drive out there at all they're just like uh doug and they don't ever cross into some wards in the city some people just don't ever cross out of the city into county proper but, you know, that's not the case with everyone. We love to keep an eye on it. And, Doug, I'm going to be leaning on you here because you are our senior county correspondent <laughs> on Rose City politics. Uh, you've got it's a the role I relish. Yeah, you've got the depth and the breadth of the experience uh, having, uh, you know, come from there. And you can tell us all about it. <laughs> I, love, I love how that made it sound. You know, you come from that place. Yeah. Yeah, well, way, I learned. I learned about. Distance. I learned about county politics when Ma was churning butter uh, out out in the back forty, and she would tell me all about the various Reeves and Deputy Reeves and what they were doing. They were all wearing onions. This was the style. This was the style exactly. Well, let's talk about the Warden race. It's heating up in earnest. Leamington Mayor Hilda McDonald and Tecumseh Mayor Gary McNamara have put their names forward for this election as Essex County Warden. It's taking place on the 23rd of November by secret ballot. This would be the second time for McNamara as County Warden, while McDonald would be the first woman ever elected to the position. Um, now, Candidates for warden and deputy warden traditionally announced their intentions at the end of the warden's banquet that took place on Friday. Doug, I got to just stop right there. Um, having come from the county, do you can you give us some color commentary about the warden's I've, banquet? I, I have Please never attended. A, I have never attended, nor have I been invited to a warden's banquet. But but folks, um, I will keep my calendar clear. Uh, in future Novembers, if you want to invite me to a warden's banquet, because that sounds lit. <laughs> sounds like the hair really gets let down for it. Uh, now, Tecumseh Deputy Mary, Mayor Joe Bacchetti and LaSalle Mayor Crystal Malosh have both announced intentions to run for the deputy position. But for that warden position, uh, Hilda McDonald said 
that the electorate sent a pretty strong signal about women in politics that this municipal election, considering that five of the eight mayors in Essex County are now women. And that's up one from before the election. So it's not like it was like a newfound thing, like, but it's growing. And the county can tell, I think, Windsor politics a hell of a lot. Um, now, she also says that it's time for the south end of the county to be represented in the warden's chair. Doug, I want to stop right there. Maybe that's something that you could provide some commentary sure. upon. So when someone when she's saying the south end of the county, could you explain what that means? And historically, like, has there been a lack of representation? Um, well, the uh, I, I don't have the list of wardens um, in front of me, uh, but but um, there definitely is. I think um, we tend to think of Essex County as um, as a unit, and I think there are definitely um, sort of different spheres in Essex County. Um, the the different cities that are more or less in Windsor's economic orbit, or the towns rather, uh, to come see LaSalle and and to a lesser and extent Amherstburg, um, they they are somewhat oriented more towards um, suburban type of issues and a suburban lifestyle where the um the more peripheral and i would not say like north end south end i i think of it more as the um the suburban communities and then the more rural and peripheral communities um and when you think about um much of essex uh uh kingsville and certainly leamington um you're you're talking about um a completely different economic base um, than than uh, the folks who in in the uh, more suburban parts of the county, uh, I think, tend to rely on the same things that Windsor relies on the auto industry primarily um, in terms of their economic base. Well, the the south end of the county or the rural part of the county um, is far more focused on agriculture, and uh, you know they've had great success um with agribusiness uh both um in terms of the uh burgeoning of the wine industry you know you may be a little too young to remember this john but essex county wine was a punchline when i was a kid right <laughs> um uh you had colio and peely and that was about it uh yeah. and um uh over the last you know couple of decades um our 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 wine industry has turned into a major success story for this region and an economic driver and the greenhouse industry even more so of an economic driver so so i think that there is a hidden divergence in um county priorities and uh in perspectives between um those suburban and those rural um areas and certainly i think the things that matter um, to a Tecumseh mayor are going to be very different than the things that matter um, to a Leamington mayor. So I, I, without stating an opinion on whether it's time for the South End, like the South End of the county wants in or whatever, um, I think it's a perfectly reasonable position to take because they are definitely, um, I think, separate, separate um, political cultures and separate entities economically. Mm -hmm. That's that's fair. And the way that you put that out, that makes um a lot of sense. I, I do like the distinction of just explaining like, no, it's it's rural versus the city closer uh, towns that are part of it. That makes um a lot of sense. Uh, McDonald also said, you know, hey, I've got leadership experience. And did you see how we did during COVID? I think I did pretty good. So, you know, I think give her uh, credit for everything that she puts forward. She'd be a great, uh, she is a great candidate. She'd serve well. I, I have no doubt about that. 
Gary McNamara, I mean, heck, this guy is like a Tecumseh political juggernaut. Um, I, he's been acclaimed, I believe, in more elections than he's running. And if not, it's just like on one side or the other of the number. It could flip back or forth, um, you know, and lots of lots of things to say about acclamations. I, I think the the strongest one is like it's it's obviously a show of uh, either uh, fear that no one wants to run against you or it's just, you know, hey, support and uh, or I suppose disinterest as well. Um, three different ways. But I don't feel that it's the third one there. Regardless, he says. I'm running. I'm a guiding force. Think of what I can keep doing in this role. But he also did point forward a little bit of a, maybe a fear card and said, Hey, look at the high inflation that we're dealing with and it could get worse. And he hinted towards a possible recession and said, you need my calm, cool, steady hand on the table. Um, not pointing fingers anyway, but just saying like, you know, that I'm good at this kind of thing. Now, McNamara and McDonald were the only two mayors, uh, returning mayors that were reelected to lead their municipalities as well. Last month, three of the county's seven mayors uh, didn't seek reelection. And uh, two others, Sherry Bondi and Tracy Bailey of Essex and Lakeshore, they both ousted the incumbents. So you could join in with the uh, incumbent ousting uh, club. I think you guys need to maybe get a hat, maybe at least have a, a craft beer or something. Doug, I'll just uh, I'll pass the mic over to you just for last thoughts on this, uh, generally speaking, as uh, from there. And then we'll see uh, what the councillor elect has to say generally. Sure thing. And before uh, before I get to that, I just want to say this is the first time um, that this show has taken notice of um, Sherry Bondi's election in Essex. And um, I want to congratulate Sherry Bondi. Uh, I think that um, Sherry Bondi is a kind of a force of nature um, of, you know, the the work that she's done as a counselor, um, the work that she has done in her community and now um, and now to um, to be in the role of mayor is quite a vindication for um, an approach to politics that I think made a lot of people uncomfortable um, and an approach to politics that was definitely, um, especially I think for a woman in politics, we're not particularly used to seeing this in Windsor, Essex. Um, Sherry Bondi is, is aggressive. Uh, Sherry Bondi um, is, is very concerned about calling out what is right and what is wrong um, in her community. And uh, she is not afraid to stand up for herself and for the residents that she represents. So congratulations to Sherry Bondi. And I just wanted to say that um, because I can't believe it's been like two weeks since the election. We haven't talked about that. Um, now on the issue, um, uh, it looks to me like um, like the only serious potential candidates would be um, McNamara and McDonald, just because they are the only two who have any experience serving in the role as mayor. Um, so it's really unlikely that anyone else would be able to mount an effective campaign. Um, and and I think uh, both make a pretty compelling case. Look, Gary McNamara is a person who has earned a tremendous amount of respect um, from not only people in Tecumseh, but I think people across the county. Um, Gary McNamara is a political force and has been for some time and shows no signs of slowing down. Um, 
but if I had a vote, I I would vote um, I would vote for McDonald. Um, if if it were my choice to make, I think that um, Windsor Essex would be well served if, and I'm I'm saying this um, with all due respect to long serving politicians and um, and folks who have uh, uh, you know earned a place in the elite in the uh, insiders club. I think it would be good if we elected a few more outsiders. Um, and I think it would be good for this city um, if folks who are not uh, good for the city and good for the region, if folks who were not um, sort of in the list of usual suspects who, uh, you know, give each other awards and attend each other's banquets and so on and so forth, were to take more of a leadership role. Um, beyond that, uh, I do think it's time for a woman to lead the county. Um, and I think that was a pretty compelling argument um, for uh, uh, Ms. McDonald to make in front of an audience, um, a voting audience that is, um, you know, has so many women in it. Uh, so I think I think she's um, she's choosing her rhetorical batter, battleground well. Um, and and again, it, you know, my choice would be McDonald. I think both could both could serve effectively in the role. Both are are more than respectable um, potential wardens. But um, my vote my vote would be for McDonald. You know, I, I I'm not gonna say where I would be going. I think Gary's a really good candidate. He represents uh, Tecumseh incredibly well. I've just I've said that. Um, I know him from the past and from business uh, dealings. Uh, so I've got uh, friendly relations with him. Was he a regular uh, at higher limits? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, and oh. I will say, I'll state that emphatically. No, um, <laughs> it would have been great though. That would have been awesome. It would. Um, and then uh, Hilda McDonald, uh, you know, I've uh, only interviewed her um, and then, you know, followed along with what she's done. I like her a lot. She's well-versed, well-spoken. She, she knows her stuff. I love the opposition that she came out with to uh, the Doug Ford strong mayors legislation. She recently just got reelected to the board of uh, the small mayors or small town caucus or whatever it is. Um, excuse me. I'm sorry. AMO caucus that you are. Um, but yeah, she came out and she was like, I don't like this strong mayors. I'm not in favor of it. It's not how democracy works. I believe that in the audio file, she, uh, said something a bit stronger um, might have been closer to maybe the term dictatorial. I'm not going to put it. I'm not going to say she did though. Go listen to the AM 800 tape and tell me if I'm wrong in that, but I have that reflection on it. Either way, she says she doesn't like it and that's not how democracy works. So I don't feel out of line suggesting what I just did, but I like that opposition. She's feisty. She came out strong she's not afraid to, you know, use the roles that she has to speak her mind. I think too often when people do get certain positions, especially ones that are higher than just um, elected office, but they get to that next level as well, that comes with it, that it gets to a little bit of a point like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to go and offend too much because I've got different hats on and, you know, we've got to all be respectful. And I, I appreciate that. And I'm not saying that anyone should be rude by any means, but you shouldn't, you know, stop advocating for the things that you believe in. So I think either are going to be great in the role. It seems like these are the two that we're going to be looking at. And uh, I think the county is going to be well-served Angelo, you know, counselor elect, you're going to have to be dealing with uh, 
county council at some point and one of these candidates at some point. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not trying to throw you a hard uh, baseball question about county politics by any mean. Um, rather, go as far as you want into this topic. But the question that I will ask you is just the relationship that Windsor has with the county has been increasingly linking together over the past number of years, seemingly on a, I don't know if it's a, a guided uh, pattern, if it's a plan, but it, it it's happening, whether it's directed or if it's organically, um, whether it be transit arrangements or policing arrangements or other type uh, of course we've got the uh the the waste landfill arrangements as well um what's your take on the role of windsor in you know windsor and essex county and essex as well all of the municipalities how do you see that linkage between you know the big the big city versus the others um we're both equal components and population here in our little neck of the woods what's your take on that whole play i think uh i think we need to have uh more collaborations we need to work together because there's a lot of concerns that we share uh, be it uh hospitals be it roads be it all these sort of things so i think the evolution of our municipalities will be eventually almost like the uh city of york town of yeah municipality of york the n6 model where they have uh where they have these collaborations, it's kind of like, not like, it's like the GTA, uh, but it's not as official as the GTA. So I think it's going to start with small little steps, but uh, I think those steps over a period of time will kind of have like the greater Windsor area and the greater Windsor area will include, you know, uh, all the municipalities around it or Windsor Essex area. And uh, I think uh, when we combined ourselves, when we work together as a, a team, we're stronger than as an individual municipality in buying power and in, in all that sort of thing. So I think there's a lot of advantages to collaborating with neighboring municipalities and, uh, and having, having us work together to find the common solution that could satisfy, you know, the entire county or, you know, the entire municipal or whatever, whosoever the concern it is. And there's that thing with your neighbor. These are our neighbors. And think of it almost like a, a, the neighbor who lives next door to you. You really want to live by the happiness of your neighbor and not by the misery of them. So you, you really want to make sure that everyone in your area is, is doing well, because only then can you truly do well as a city or as a person or as however you want to see it. So I think there's a lot of I think we have to help where we can. And uh, I think we have to grow as a team together uh, with a common goal of making this the greatest place to live in all of Canada. Cause we know that we really do. It really is like, think of it. We have the, the best weather. We have the most diverse flora, the most diverse species, some of the greatest, uh, you know, environments uh, very unique to all of Canada. 1% has, you know, the soil that we have. And uh, the greenhouses, I mean, they're phenomenal. They really, really are. Uh, and I think that's that's something of the future is this type of food production that could be done. It's all about land use, I'm beginning to realize. Even with affordable housing, it's all about land use. Land is the most valuable commodity. So what we need to do is we really need to focus on, you know, sort of making that parcel of land small 
but very effective. A greenhouse exemplifies that. So, I mean, there's a lot we can do as, as a city, and uh, I look forward to working with all, all uh, our county municipalities. I've, in fact, I met up with uh, Joe Bacchetti uh, today at 10 a.m. at uh, Tim Hortons, and we were just talking about, uh, you know, the challenges that we have. And uh, how did they get such great snow removal? That was my big question. You guys, like, first on a snow event, everything's cleared up. How are you guys doing it? And so, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of ideas that we can share together and uh, try to kind of produce that better product that, uh, that we all truly want. I, we don't want to fail. We want to we do good with what we're here for. So, I mean, I think it's, it's important that we really sort of work together as a team, as a community, and, uh, and, and in that unified effort, produce the strongest product possible. Hey, perfect. Well, hey, I want to thank you for that. You know, it's I, I agree. Listen, the the we do have so much opportunity here. No one doubts that. And I think mm. stronger integration with the county could help um, not, you know, just not only just linking us together is one thing. I mean, you know, Lord knows that most of us don't know enough people in the city because we keep in our own echo chambers. But there's such a divide outside of the city core and into the county. And we know that from, from from outside to in as well. And that's why some of our transit connections are such a big deal. You know, yeah. people being able to access uh, education, being able to access employment opportunities, be, being able to being able to visit friends and family just easier and cheaper and quicker. So yeah, no, lots of opportunities. Um, listen, hey, Councillor Elect, Marignani, thank yeah. you for joining us. You know, uh, you, you've been the uh, little engine that could, you know, just uh, time after time trucking along and the hard work paid off. Look at where you're at now. You've got just a matter of days left as just one of us normies here on the outside looking in until you're going to be on the inside having to make those big decisions, carry the weight of the ward and the city on your shoulders. And we want to thank you so much for joining us as one of the, uh, first newly elected councillors for this term to join us here on Rose City Politics. We hope that it will be the first of many and that you haven't been too turned off by us by the one-on-one uh, -on -one experience uh, in the new role. No, 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 no. Like thank you. It. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, you guys do a great service in the sense that uh, really nowhere else, though there's a few others, but nowhere goes into the details that you guys do about our city and about the uh, municipal issues that we have. So uh, I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. I, I have since you guys started and uh, you're doing a great job and keep up the good work. Oh, Thanks, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. Don't say that too loudly um, around council chambers. You don't want to go tainting yourself uh, too right. early right off the bat. But hey, thank you so much for joining us councillor elect angelo marignani we're going to be keeping our eye on you in ward seven not in a weird way just like you know as we do with uh with with counselors thank you so much of course thank you well folks that will do it for us here on rose city politics it's november the 10th regular panel tonight included myself john lidke and doug sartori guest joining us soon to be ward seven councillor elect angelo marignani we are in BizX Magazine online at bizxmagazine.com. We are on all your favorite social media and podcasting apps. 
and Rosity Politics is able to broadcast live on tape. Thank you to the kind support of Leuna 625, Building Better Communities. We will be back next week diving into the issues as we do.